Hello. Hello! You're listening to Green Minds at Imperial College. A podcast that explores topics related to climate change and sustainability. I'm Adina Molnar. And I'm Adam Eisenberg, your host for this show. We're two master's students at Imperial College Business School in London. Each episode, we are sitting down with guest speakers to talk about a specific topic within the field of sustainability and their insights on how to make an impact. We hope you enjoy the show. Today's episode is about sustainable fisheries, and we have with us Lucy Erickson from MSC. Lucy is uh, the Science Communications Manager for the Marine Stewardship Council, an NGO which focuses on sustainable seafood and fisheries management. Prior to the MSC, Lucy worked mostly in fundraising and communications for the charity sector, including for the University of Oxford and Vancouver Aquarium. And as a freelance writer based in the fishing village of Muni, uh, Vietnam, she previously did her MSc in biodiversity, conservation and management at the University of Oxford. The MSc, as Adina mentioned, is an independent nonprofit organization which sets a standard for sustainable fishing. They've worked with fisheries, suppliers, retailers and consumers to encourage a more sustainable seafood market. Um, essentially, the MSc is trying to reduce overfishing. So, Adina, overfishing, what is it? Well, it's a pretty serious environmental as well as social and economic issue, which poses a threat to marine life and coastal communities that are dependent on fish as a food source. But I think um, at this point we can welcome Lucy and let her introduce the stats. Thanks so much, Adina. Yes, so I guess starting off with some statistics, the Food and Agriculture Organization, which is the FAO, of the United Nations estimate that globally about 33% of fish stocks are overfished. So this is bad. It means more fish are being taken out of the populations that are being born in and the populations are in decline. This is only compared to about 7% which are underfished. And in a way, this isn't really good either because it means that those populations aren't really working for food security or supporting local communities. And then the rest of the fish stocks, about 60%, are what's called maximally sustainably fished. So that means right now, fishing is happening and it's sustainable, but the stocks couldn't withstand any more fishing pressure. Mm -hmm. So why is it then that we... Because based on these stats, 60% is sustainably fished, which is a good thing. So why is it that we keep hearing like 80-90% of um, the fish stock is exploited and there's a huge overfishing problem? Why, why is that? That's a great question. So the FAO previously, instead of calling the 60% maximally sustainably fished, it was referred to as fully exploited stocks. And I think there's been some confusion historically that fully exploited is the same as overexploited. Mm -hmm. So when you take that 60% fully exploited plus 30% overexploited, you get 90%. And so it's easy to conflate right. those two together. Okay. So it's a huge misconception, basically. It's a big okay. misconception, and I'm glad we had the chance to clear it up right off okay. the bat. Yeah. <laughs> so we are, we're currently losing species as an entire ecosystem. For some communities, particularly in coastal areas and developing countries, fish and seafood are, are staples. So can you walk us through a little bit kind of the developed versus the developing world in, in terms of... Of, of these statistics. Yeah, absolutely. So the FAO every year or every two years releases a report called the State of the World's Fisheries. And this year it had some really interesting stats. So basically fighting over fishing is working and we are making progress. It's part of the reason why I love working in fisheries, that <laughs> you can actually fix things and solve problems. Um, and so particularly in the developed world and countries like the U.S., overfish stocks have dropped. In fact, in the U.S., they're at their lowest ever um, 
proportion of overfished stocks, which is awesome. And it's the same in Australia, and this is really exciting. But on the other hand, uh, in the global south or the developing world, fish stocks are being overexploited. And more and more fish is coming out of this region, and there isn't the same scrutiny on, on fishing there. And so you're seeing um, a decline in fish stocks in these parts of the world. And it's really important that the global community start focusing our attention there. Mm -hmm. So basically it's working well in the developed countries, but really not that great in, in the global south. Definitely. Um, do you think there's been enough attention given to this issue already? Are, are organizations realizing that there's a big divide? Oh, absolutely. And I think there's a lot of NGOs focusing their attention now in regions around the equator, and especially countries like Indonesia, where there's a huge amount of fishing is going on. And it's both within Indonesia and international. So mm -hmm. I think it's definitely um, on people's minds. And MSC is also thinking more and more about how can we be working in these regions, capacity building, and helping them on the pathway to sustainability. So um, also... Is, is this a, a matter of, of like monetary, like the more developed world? Like obviously Iceland has the resources to do it, whereas some of these countries don't. So it's a lot of it is just getting funding. Is that one of the biggest roadblocks or is it education? Um, and then... Well, there are so many, there are so many challenges, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely funding is, is a big part. Another is just time. You know, it takes a long time for a fishery to change over all of its habits, all of its boats maybe, all of its nets, and, and get to the point where all of its practices are sustainable. Um, yeah, I mean, I could go on for a long time <laughs> about the individual challenges. <laughs> so moving on from that, something fascinating that you previously said to me was, um, well, whether pescatarian diet or the vegan diet is better for the environment. Um, so can you tell us more about which one is preferred? Yes. So first of all, it's always a personal choice. And if your personal choice is, is to go vegan, that's absolutely fantastic as well. Um, <laughs> but one study that came out this summer that I found so interesting was by Dr. Ray Hilborn at the University of Washington. And he was looking at the, the carbon footprint and the environmental impact of all different types of foods. And what he found is that eating certain types of fish is actually better for the environment than a pure vegetarian or even vegan diet. Wow. Hmm. What is it? Is it certain fish or certain seafood? Because I know, for example, that mussels mm -hmm. are really good actually for the environment. Um, and I, yeah, I thought that was quite surprising. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. So mussels um, are really easy to grow because they, when uh, mussels spawn, they, the, the, uh, the baby mussels, I don't know, mm -hmm. they, they float through the water column mm -hmm. and they just attach to whatever they can and then they filter their own food out of the ocean. They actually clean the ocean and then when you take them out to eat them, um, there's really no impact there. Mm -hmm. So they're a great choice. Um, another good choice for environmental uh, benefits of fish would be something that's a small fish that grows really fast and that lives in the middle of the water column. So when you go to catch them, you can fish really clean so the net just surrounds that ball of fish and gets pulled off. Okay. Um, and so something that I think is really interesting and people don't really realize is that the McDonald's filet of fish is sustainable. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. And if you get one in the UK, you'll see the MSC blue fish sticker or logo on the filet of fish here. And they've been sustainable for about a decade. That's very cool. Okay, that's I had no good. clue about yeah. that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's because they're going for a certain type of whitefish, which is small, lives in the middle of the water column, and so it can be fished really sustainably. Okay, great. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, 
what are what are some those are obviously like the, the good guys of the environmental mm-hmm. impact what are some what are some costs associated with with fishing as well okay so one species that has a bigger carbon footprint is lobster okay um you just have to travel further to catch them and, and they're that's why they're kind of a luxury food mm-hmm. anyway um but the msc our ethos is that every fishery should be evaluated on its own merits so we're saying, what is the environmental impact of this fishery on the fish stock, on the surrounding ecosystem, and on the way the fishery is managed? Is that sustainable? And you look at these things on a case-by-case basis. So we would never say, like, don't eat lobster, it's always bad. Right. Mm-hmm. Or always eat mussels, they're always good. Um, what we say instead is look for the blue fish logo, and then you know that this fishery has got, undergone a long process of assessment for its sustainability. Okay. And um, just in general, with fish farming, what what is the environmental problem with it uh, right now? So fish farming, for the first time recently, surpassed wild capture for producing more tons of fish in the world. So it's so important. And without fish farming, we won't be able to meet the needs of the growing population. And 9 billion people by 2050 Mm -hmm. are going to need a lot more protein than we're producing now. So fish farming is definitely part of the solution. But it was kind of a runaway industry. Mm-hmm. So when it first came into play, there wasn't a lot of regulation. There's a lot of fish farms growing all over the world without very much scrutiny or thinking about sustainability. So only a few years ago, um, the MSC's sister program, which is the Aquaculture Stewardship Council, okay. started. And they're certifying sustainable fish farms, which is great. But they're only just starting. And so there's a lot of fish farms out there that won't have had any environmental scrutiny on them. So well, it's definitely part of the solution. It's a lot more difficult to know if a fish farm is doing well, but they can be, they can be really mm-hmm. sustainable too. Okay. And does it just have to be fish? Can you grow other things <laughs> underwater? Yes, absolutely. So seaweed, I think is so exciting. It's like the future of sustainable fishing. There's about a million tons of seaweed harvested every year from the wild. Wow. And there's something like 79 tons of seaweed farmed, or sorry, 79 million tons. Wow. So there's a huge amount of seaweed, and mm-hmm. about 80% of that is going to human consumption. So we don't eat a lot of seaweed in this country, although you might yeah. find seaweed in like your toothpaste or your beauty cream as an ingredient and additive. But in other parts of the world, they eat a lot of seaweed. Um, there's a lot of micronutrients in seaweed, and it can be really sustainable. So I think you should watch this space for sustainable seaweed for sure. I've seen it in the local grocery store at home in these little packets and they're delicious. So I'm on board. I'm also on board. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So talking a little bit about the current state of the fishing industry more um, generally, how does modern commercial fishing happen around the world? Um, I know there are large scale, small scale um, companies and organizations doing fishing. So can you tell us more about that? Yes. So one thing I did not realize before I started working for the MSC is the huge scale of fishing. Fish is actually the most traded food commodity in the world. So the most traded? Yes. So that's more than cocoa or coffee or even rice. Yeah, I would have thought like I, rice or grains. For sure, yeah. yeah I would have said rice. Um, fish, that's, wow. that's crazy. Is mm-hmm. that sea, f- seafood in general? Or yeah, fish? Seafood, seafood in general. So okay. shellfish, fish. Yeah. Wow. So, so like, how how concentrated is is the market? Um, is is it big corporations, small businesses? Uh, what's kind of like the spread on that? Do you have an idea? Mm-hmm. So globally, about ninety percent of the people who work in the fishing industry are working in small scale fisheries. 
Uh, so this is what you kind of imagine when you think of like a little fishing village and one person and their boat, kind of that scale. And that accounts for about 30% of all the volume, the tonnage of fish that's caught. So the other 70% is caught by what we think of as industrial fishing. And this is boats that are um, bigger and boats that stay out at sea longer. But it isn't always the case. Sometimes I think we have this misconception that industrial boats or big boats are always owned by like these faceless corporations or something yeah. and that yeah, somehow totally. it's yeah. bad. Yeah. Um, but industrial scale just means big. If fish is the number one most traded food commodity globally, then you've got to have some big industry making that possible. For sure, yeah. Um, so we have some really interesting certified fisheries. The Alaska Pollock fishery, for example, is a, is a commercial fishery. It's big boats. They catch a lot of pollock, but they're all run by this amazing family from Alaska, and they've been fishing the same part of the world for generations. So it's like the small-scale story in these big boats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. And like with getting bigger, there's more efficiencies, and, and people have to abide by certain practices, and there's probably more regulation around these companies uh, considering, you know, they have to report up. So uh, given that, you know, there there has been problems in industrial fishing, overfishing, harming marine life, depleting resources, uh, disrupting ecosystems. Can you walk us through kind of this aspect of, of the industrial fishing industry? Yes. And so I would say that industrial fishing and small-scale fishing can both be sustainable On the other hand, they both definitely have their challenges. And so this is why the MSC looks at comprehensive third-party evaluation and assessment of sustainability on a case-by-case basis. Mm -hmm. But yeah, absolutely, industrial fishing has a lot to answer for, especially in previous decades when it's kind of been rampant without much thought for sustainability. But I definitely feel that many, many fishers all over the world are, are paying so much attention to sustainability now and really caring about moving forward. One really interesting thought, just going back to your point, Adam, about having more money in industrial fisheries. So you get a lot of research funded by fishers. And so one good example of that is recently in Greenland, the Sustainable Fisheries Greenland Company, so they own a lot of fishing industry in Greenland, funded a bunch of research by the ZSL, Mm -hmm. London Zoological Society. Okay. (laughs) And they went up there to the Arctic, and for the first time ever, they went out in these fishing boats and filmed the seafloor. They dropped these cameras like way down to the bottom, filmed the seafloor, and they discovered these vulnerable marine ecosystems down there and these amazing sea pens and cold water corals. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah, and then the fishery made a marine protected area about the size of the M25, like inside the M25 or something. That's huge. Yeah, (laughs) to protect that. And so this is like such a great example, I think, of independent scientists and fishing industry working together the industry has the money, they can fund the science, and then the science helps the fishery be more sustainable long-term. That's really cool, and that's it's like a cool long-term story because oftentimes I think people associate industry research from these large corporations stifling the, the public good, um, but this is, this is the opposite story, so that's great to hear. And when you said that now both big and small scale are paying atten- more attention to sustainability, when do you think that picked up or, or when did sustainability become a thing in, in the fishing industry? So MSC was founded in 1997 and the reason was that that's when the fishing collapsed on the Grand Banks. The cod fishery of Newfoundland just disappeared and this is when everyone woke up like, oh my god, that the whole community and that part of the world and I'm Canadian so it's kind of close to my heart (laughs) 
you know, this really changed the face of fishing. And MSC was actually founded by Unilever, big mm. corporation, and WWF. And the reason is because at the time, Unilever owned like a million different types of fish fingers. And so they had this really business case interest in making sure that fish was going to be sustainable for the future. And WWF, of course, had the NGO approach. Yeah. Um, so I think actually sustainable fisheries has been around for a couple decades at least. But I would say in the past kind of year, 18 months, especially after Blue Planet. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, for sure. It's really picking up in the public mm. attention. And uh, SDG 14, which is the Sustainable Development Goal on Life Underwater, is just getting more and more attention. So it definitely feels like there's a kind of exciting Momentum. zeitgeist yeah. for sustainable fishing now. Sounds like MSC really is on the on the front of this right now, the movement, and even from the beginning, um, you were or they were. Uh, I don't know how long how long have you been with MSC actually? For two years, okay. but I actually applied three times. So <laughs> yeah, because I've always wanted to work for them. I think it's such a good pragmatic organization. Very cool. I've heard a saying that says the third time's the charm. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> Just going back a little bit more um, comparing large and small scale uh, fisheries. So I've heard of um, a small scale fishing method it's called uh, blast fishing, which basically just means um, like throwing a granite in the water and killing a bunch of the, eco the ecosystem and obviously the fish as well. Um, so what is actually more harmful, the unsustainable large scale or, or small practices like that? Oh, thank you for this question. I think it's really good because it helps clear up these misconceptions that either small is always good or big is always bad. Yeah. Um, in the case of dynamite fishing or blast fishing, where you're yeah, throwing basically grenades into the water and then scooping up all the fish that die, mm -hmm. this is one of the only types of fishing that is just banned by the FAO and also banned from the MSC standard. Okay. You can't even put yourself forward for assessment to be sustainable if you do that kind of fishing. And same with cyanide fishing which is basically poison fishing. So there are very few types of fishing that we say, don't even go there, it's always bad, but those are the two. Mm -hmm. Now, definitely, there are challenges and different types of fishing methods can have different kinds of impacts on the environment and sometimes can be very, very harmful. And both small-scale and large-scale fishing boats can, can have harmful practices, definitely. Yeah, so, like... <clears throat> Something that I've heard is, is a quarter of the world of uh, seafood is, is caught using bottom trolling. And I've always kind of thought about bottom trolling, which is a technique that, that gathers shellfish and low drilling species on the bottom of the seafloor. It destroys a lot of natural habitat. Um, I've always kind of thought is this was like the most destructive bad guy in fishing. Um, is is that true? And, and Or is it kind of, <laughs> I mean, if a quarter of the world's seafood is being caught in this method... Um, and it's potentially that destructive. What's what's the story on that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great question. What is the story on bottom <laughs> trawling? Yeah. So about half of the MSC's fisheries that are certified sustainable are bottom trawling. And the reason this is possible is, go again, going back to this idea that you have to evaluate a fishery on its impacts. So bottom trawling First of all, there's lots of different types of bottom trawlers. And so different types of nets will actually penetrate the, the bottom of the ocean floor um, to a different degree. So otter trawls, for exa example, penetrate like 0.4 centimeters. Okay. 
Okay. So not very far down. Other types might penetrate like 16 centimeters down. So you can imagine that's scooping up a lot more, causing a lot mm -hmm. more long-term damage. So that's one way. So the other thing is that the seafloor itself has, has a varying um, amount of resilience to being trawled. And so I don't know if you've ever been onto the beach where you've seen like big waves pounding right at the shore. Yeah. You can imagine that that kind of environment is used to being pummeled. Mm -hmm. So the animals that live there are used to being able to bounce back after having been disturbed. And on the other hand, other kinds of sensitive things like coral are obviously not going to react well to being trawled over. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's why case by case is so important. Um, and you can definitely think about bottom trawling in parts of the world for species that are much more able to recover and also in uh, ecosystems that can recover better as well. And then there's lots of things you can do to minimize your impact of bottom trawling. So there's a really cool project going on in South Africa between, again, a certified fishery and the uh, local science scientists from the university. And they've taken a chunk of the ocean floor where this fishery is bottom trawling, and they've closed off every other strip. And so every other strip is being trawled, every other strip is just being left. And so you can see what happens to the species in each of those strips. And I okay. think this is the first ever example of that kind of counterfactual research showing what happens when an area is or isn't trawled right side by side. Yeah. Do you know what they found? Are, are, are there findings already? So it's ongoing. Okay. And I think findings, I saw like some preliminary stuff presented at a conference this summer. So I would have thought maybe in the next year or so we'd have more answers. Yeah, we'll have to watch out for that. That's, yeah, that's a very local way of monitoring um, the environmental impact. I feel like a lot of the times in the field of sustainability, that's something that we can't really measure locally. Um, but that, yeah, that sounds really good. It's cool, right? Yeah. Thanks for telling us about that. <laughs> no problem. And bottom trawling also, you can do a lot of different spatial management. So you could say, okay, we're going to bottom trawl in this part of the ocean. However, we're not going to touch any of these vulnerable ecosystems. We're not going to go into this protected area. We're not going to go over here where we know that there's coral. So you can manage your spatial footprint as well. Um, and at the MSC, we basically say, as long as the impact you're having isn't unrepairable and the species and the ecosystem can't regenerate within a reasonable time frame, then that's okay. We're mm -hmm. not saying no impact ever. We're saying it has to be impact that, that the whole ecosystem can survive and prosper afterwards, basically. Mm -hmm. Now going more to, to talk about sustainable fisheries. So essentially that's what sustainable fishing is, um, measuring or measuring the impact of, of fishing and the environmental effect of of the methods or, or yes. how would you describe it? Yes, exactly. And so for MSC, we say sustainable fishing means leaving enough fish in the ocean, respecting the habitats, but still making sure that people who depend on fishing can maintain their livelihoods and their communities and their lifestyles. And so when we think about a vision of the future, we're thinking about oceans teeming with life, but also seafood there for our generation and future generations. Okay. And how would you go about measuring sustainability? And in my mind, it's just hard to imagine how do you measure um, how sustainable it is, apart from maybe the CO2 impact or, or just the um, environmental footprint of the methods. Yes. So the Marine Stewardship Council, we set the standard for sustainable fishing. We basically say these are the 28 things we want you to look at when you're looking at sustainability. And so it's then, just a list that they have to go through? Yes. Okay. And the fishery has to, has to get an independent auditor to come in and assess them against the standard. So it's like taking your car to get the MOT 
done to get mm-hmm. tested by this independent auditor, right. except that in the case of MSC certification, it can take about 18 months mm-hmm. for the auditor to actually go through your entire fishing operation wow. and make sure that you're meeting all these different criteria for sustainability. Sounds like a quite a thorough process. And the, and the nature of, I mean, maybe you can dig into this, but um, one kind of measure you guys do is, is fish stocks. Mm-hmm. So maybe like um, you can walk us through kind of the difficulty in, in measuring a, a fish stock in itself. Yeah, so. absolutely. And so in a nutshell, it seems simple because you think, okay, your fish stock's going to be healthy as long as you aren't taking out more fish than are being born in. This is like the very basic sustainability mm-hmm. of fish stocks principles. <laughs> However, how do you know? How do you know how many fish are there? There's a really good quote, I think, which is that counting fish is just like counting trees, except the trees move around and they're invisible. <laughs> so you end up with a case where you really need some really good fishery scientists with very good statistical knowledge to be able to estimate and use models to figure out how big your fish population actually is and what the impact of your fishing is on it. So that's a big part of the standard. Um, We call it our principle one, sustainable fish stocks. But the MSC standard also covers environmental impacts. That's our principle two. And this is things like, what is the impact of the fishery on the habitat surrounding the fishery? What's its impact on other species? What's its impact on endangered species? And thirdly, the principle three is management. So this is all about how is the fishery managed? If it turns out that there are less fish than everyone thought there were going to be, how do you make sure everybody stops fishing? Those kind of questions. And so how long would that take for for a company or an organization to, to know that they've overfished and, and to reach out? Like, is that within the 18-month period or is it a couple of years? I'm just curious on timing. So every year, a certified fishery has to go through another audit, a surveillance audit. And if there's been any new information that has come in that shows that actually the stocks aren't as healthy as they thought, or there's been new impact, then that should come up in this audit, and they would either have to change, improve, or possibly be suspended from the program. Okay, so it's a, it's a yearly, the, a yearly, it's thing. yearly flag. And then in terms of like technology that, that helps kind of measure these things, I know like huge, huge technologies for the industry were GPS, kind of boat size, large fleets, uh, sonar, um, which have all been blessings and a curse for the, for the industry. What are, what are some emerging technologies? There are some really cool emerging technologies. I'm going to talk about two. So one is artificial intelligence and counting fish. So a lot of fish, uh, fishing boats will have observers on deck and the observers are people who go out with the fishing boat and see that the fishing boat is following the rules, isn't catching species it's not supposed to, that kind of thing. So you could potentially replace human observers with cameras and then get an AI system just to count the fish automatically off the camera footage. That's so cool. So cool. Yeah. So that's one. Uh, secondly, There's a really cool organization called Global Fishing Watch. They're actually started by Leonardo DiCaprio. And what they do is they use the GPS systems that most fishing boats have to have, most fishing boats over a certain length at least have to have for safety purposes, but they use that to monitor where fishing boats are going. And they've managed to to get so much data that you can see on their maps online, which I definitely encourage you to check out. You can see all the fishing boats in the world moving around. You can see where they've been fishing. Is that in real time then? Uh, I don't know if it's in real time, like that you could see it in real time, yeah. but I think information gets sent to a satellite like in on a span of hours. 
and then it comes still back down. Pretty impressive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's really easy to track. Really um, easy to where track. It's happening. The map you got AI popping up in fisheries, as it is in seems like every industry, Everywhere, which is basically. cool. And then the dashboard, the world dashboard of where all the boats are at, which yeah. is pretty sweet that you can have that large scale of tracking. So, and that tracks any fishery or so currently it's for big boats. Okay. So small scale boats, I think under 12 meters mm-hmm. don't have to have this kind of technology on board, which kind of makes sense. You can imagine a really small fishing boat off the coast of uh, India or Namibia or something, and it's just one person in their little sailboat. You wouldn't expect them to have this kind of technology on board necessarily. Right. So this is, I guess, going right, right back to the beginning, sustainable fishing in the developed world, you can imagine every boat has a camera maybe in the future and every boat has this tracking system. But can we really roll that out across hundreds of thousands of individual boats all over the developing world? It doesn't seem realistic, but there must be some way that we can we can make it work. So that's a, definitely a challenge for, for everybody for the future. Right. And that's definitely something that the developed world and, and organizations have to help um, fisheries in the developing countries help them do. And then just talking more about sustainable fishing in, in the industry. I know we touched on this in the beginning and you said 60% of fisheries are actually sustainable. So uh, what is um, what is the trend in, do you see a lot more f- uh, fisheries becoming sustainable in the future? What's What's the trend? I hope and I really believe that we can see more fisheries becoming sustainable in future. Absolutely. I think it's an achievable goal for sure. I think it's going to be hard because as we touched on before, in the developed world, there was a lot of low-hanging fruit fisheries that were already performing really well and just needed, for example, the MSC to recognize them for Mm -hmm. that. In the developing world, there's a lot of fisheries which are a long way away. And so that capacity building and pathway to sustainability is likely to take a long time. On the other hand, that's okay, and, and moving towards sustainability is still better than not moving towards yeah. it. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is, as in other industries, is going to come from the consumer, and if, if they see that consumers want sustainable, or they want to know where their, their fish come from and they want it to be sustainably sourced, then that's going to incentivize um, large-scale industry players to become certified and and touching on the certification. Um, so you guys, the MSC, what you do is you certify fisheries. Um, how do you how how does the MSC work? Um, a bit more in detail. So the MSC sets the standard for sustainability, and we actually don't certify the fisheries. That's the independent auditors okay. that have to go into the fishery and do the whole eighteen month process. But we we work um, in that space definitely. So we we're a standard setter. I, I guess is our okay. technical our technical term. So anyway, fisheries that meet the sustainability standard become certified, and then we hope retailers and restaurants choose to sell that product. Um, once a fisheries MSC certified, if it wants its product at the end to be sold with the blue fish label, every single step in the supply chain has to be certified as well. So whenever the fish is moving from a buyer to a fish market, to a processor, to a packager, and then sent to a store, every step certified. That's really important. We have our own standard for what's called our chain of custody uh, Mm -hmm. side of things. And it's important because fish fraud is a huge problem globally. It's estimated something like 30% of fish is mislabeled. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I've heard heard a lot of problems with with fish fraud and you're not actually getting potentially served what you you order. 
Mm-hmm. So we so. think traceability is so important. And one example is a lot of fish and chips, even in the UK, is actually made with shark. With shark? Mm-hmm. With uh, dogfish, which is a type of shark, but it mm-hmm. looks and kind of tastes really yeah. similar to an average white fish. So you might not know that that's what you're getting if it's not but traceable and labeled. In those cases, the restaurants sh- surely know um, what they're getting. Or is it just, like is it just the end customer? It, like if I walk into restaurants, are are they gonna know that um, it's mislabeled, or do you think are they misguided as well? I think I wouldn't want to point a finger and say any part of the supply chain <laughs> yeah. is, is is more Not likely just... to have fraud than others. <laughs> but imagine you go into a fish and chip shop and it just says fish of the day, yeah, yeah. or catch of the day. And it doesn't have any information. You know, you might not bother to ask. They might not know. It might be deliberate. It might just be accidental. But for whatever reason, the information just isn't there. Mm-hmm. So this is this is something that is is a lot more common than everyone realizes. I think. So that is is um, would would be more on yeah the re- the retailer sides wouldn't even fall underneath your standards. Well, it would if um the if the different people along the chain have signed up to the MSC's chain of custody standard. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, it, my, my bad on that. Um, so how many fisheries are MSC certified? And uh, is this number growing over the next couple of years? Do you guys see a, a huge uptick in this? So around 400 fisheries are certified, and it amounts to almost 13% of all catch globally. I think this is really exciting, because mm. if you think about organic, I think something like... One percent of agricultural land is certified organic, so we've definitely we're kind of taking a chunk out of the market, as, as it were, which is really good. Yeah. And consumers have had a huge part to play in that. The more consumers choose seafood that's labeled and ask retailers to stock it, the better the whole system works. So, how would consumers know if if the fish they buy um, is sustainable? If it's MSC certified, it'll have what looks like a little blue fish and a check mark. Yeah, I, I've actually been, I, I've seen that around here a lot, but is um, that widespread internationally or, because I've seen it in the UK, but I don't think I've seen it back home um, in Hungary. So is it, is it an international reach or? It's an international label, but the uptake is different in different countries. So in the UK, it's really easy to find and there's a lot of MSC certified product at Sainsbury's, for example. Yeah. So it can be super affordable and there's loads of different options. Um, in the U.S., it's sold a lot in places like Walmart. Okay. A little bit strangely, but it's because the MSC in, in the U.S. chose to go for volume. So they worked with Walmart and McDonald's saying you can have a lot more impact if you're trying to go for these big volume companies versus you might expect MSC logo to be on um, like local fish market that kind of uh, like farmer's market type mm. places, but it's actually not because it's difficult to get the the really intense chain of custody traceability standard if you're such a small operation. Right. And that makes sense. And these are going to be kind of the biggest players. Like think about, like you said, McDonald's selling a um, sustainable fish. It's going to have a way bigger impact than the local, uh, you know, potentially already sustainable um, fishery up this up the street, um, so that's really cool. So exactly, and so that's why you're more likely to find it in places like big supermarkets. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the UK, there isn't a lot of uptake yet in restaurants, but like Oaxaca is one of the early adopters, so they have sustainable seafood there. Would the customers be able to see that? 
Yeah, the label will be on the menu if it's a okay. restaurant, or it'll be on the package if it's in the supermarket. Yeah. Okay. So even in restaurants, the customer is going to be able to tell. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, I know that there are a lot of labels out there for certification. How does the Blue MSC label compare? Okay, great question. So first of all, there are so many labels for seafood that there's now a label for labels. <laughs> um, so the Global Seafood Sustainability Initiative, or GSSI, put together a list of really long criteria to try to say what is a credible label versus what is just another label mm-hmm. and trying to help consumers understand what labels they can really trust. So MSC is accredited against GSSI. We meet all the requirements and then 63 extra ones. I believe. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> we're very proud. Um, I believe we're the only label currently that's in- internationally applicable that meets that. And also there's another label, um, regulator called ICEAL, and they work with Fairtrade, they work with um, Rainforest Alliance and other types of labels around different products. And so MSC is part of that group as well of, um, of, I guess, what you could call really credible labels. And we also have to meet their criteria for credibility. Yeah, that's that's a good thing that you pointed out, because I think thinking that something is certified, um, not necessarily MSC, but I've definitely seen in the supermarket, it says sustainably sourced um, on the product itself, but there is no label, there is no, like, there's no MSC blue label on it. Uh, So it just kind of seems like consumers can easily be misguided. So it's important to know which ones are actually effective um, and sustainable. Yeah, and especially when it it comes to, like, with fish, it's, you know, I I think when when you think about buying fish that's sustainably sourced uh, versus overfished, you think of like mercury levels and mm, depletion yeah. of stock. So it's good to be able to have something you can trust for sure. Yeah. And moving more towards the environmental impact or, or problems and, and climate change. As a result of climate change, what kind of problems do you see? And I, I know that... As, as a result of climate change and especially the geographic redistribution of marine species, more and more fish are uh, available in the poles because of the temperature of the water um, and the animal species are moving towards the poles and away from the equator. How is this going to affect marine life And on the one hand and then the fishing industry on the other? Climate change is something that's on everybody's mind and with good reason because it's going to have a huge impact, I think. So talking first about fish moving away from the equator and towards the poles, yes. And this is causing two kind of interesting challenges. So one is that sea ice is receding. And so for the first time, these fish are actually going further north than they've ever been, which means fishing boats are chasing them into waters where previously there's been no fishing. And one really great thing is that there's actually been a ban agreed, a moratorium, I think for 10 years in Arctic waters. So no fishing boats can go in until scientists have the chance to get in there first and try to map out the seafloor, find the vulnerable areas, figure out what's going on up there. That is like a big win for (laughs) conservation. And going back to our story previously with Greenland and the ZSL, that's part of what they were doing. So this fishery was trying to expand into new waters. And before they did that, they needed the scientists to go check out the seafloor and and make that marine protected area. So this is something that's more and more is going to be happening. Are, are all countries fall, <laughs> abiding by the rules, or is that difficult to track? I think, this is a little outside my area of expertise, yeah, sorry, but I'm just... pretty sure for that ban that everybody who has 
um, like a economic zone that touches on the Arctic has signed up. Okay. So I think that one is good. Okay. It's yeah. always, always kind of sneaky with geopolitics. And, yeah, exactly. Um, but moving, moving on to the, like the, the issue of microplastics, like what's the impact on fish and marine life and, um, does, does plastic ingestion in, in fish accumulate in the uh, supply chain reaching to, to our plates? So there's been some really interesting recent research on this, and it's something the MSC and just me personally are watching closely because it is so important. So to my knowledge, there hasn't been any research yet showing impact of microplastics on humans. There has been really, research, really recent research showing that it does accumulate so was basically like found in human poop. Um, <laughs> so it's happening, but there's not a lot known about it yet. So we're basically like everybody else, just keeping an eye on, on the research. Okay. So it's definitely coming up the food chain, but we don't know what effect it's going to have on us. Exactly. I think when we think of climate change and the oceans, a lot of people, like the first thing they will say is plastics. And obviously nowadays we see so many of these photos, um, of whales and and just other animals dying because of the amount of plastic that accumulates in the oceans. Um, and then microplastic is just the small um, pieces of plastic that kind of dissolve in the yes, water. Yes. Um, and then we don't really know what effect it's going to have on us. Do, do we know what effect it has on fish and, and seafood? So I am kind of personally invested in the plastics discussion because when I was living in Vietnam, we got an emergency call to go to a beach cleanup because mm -hmm. plastic had washed up on the beach knee deep and you could just reach down with both your arms and scoop it up. And they actually had to call in the Vietnamese army to help with the cleanup. Whoa. And they were picking up garbage with like a backhoe and loading it into dump trucks. Mm. I've never seen anything like it. It was crazy. And the garbage was all like day to day human garbage. So like chip packages and little bags and flip-flops mm -hmm. and straws not what you might think like big industrial packaging no it was just like what you might throw out at the end of the day so i found that really shocking and it's definitely having impact on on fish species and there's so many of these sad stories about especially marine mammals ingesting so much plastic mm -hmm. um so the plastics problem is yeah super pertinent the MSC doesn't directly deal with plastic, but there's a lot of great NGOs that do. So we like, fully support these efforts. And I guess our thing is to say plastic is big and plastic is so in the public consciousness right now. So that's really great. But let's not forget there's other problems as well. So we have to solve overfishing alongside plastic and solving plastic won't solve overfishing. So this is how we say, OK, well, we're going to keep going on the overfishing problem parallel to the plastic problem. Right, which which makes sense. You can't can't tackle everything, um, and given plastics are the, the plastics you were talking about are consumer everyday plastics rather than necessarily like huge industrial fishing nets. Which I think um, I read a stat. I'm not going to quote it correctly, but there's there's the the ocean in the South Pacific is where most of the fishing nets accumulate. Yes, and it's and a lot of it's caused by like Chinese um, fishing boats, kind of just chopping off their nets because they don't want to reach a certain weight limit. So that was just another point on, on plastics, but not necessarily within your guys' scope. Yes. Yeah. So ghost gear and this idea that there's a lot of fishing nets floating around the ocean. I think something like half of the great Pacific garbage gyre is made of fishing nets and it's, yeah, it's crazy. I, I think because of this, the big like no straw um, movement, everyone kind of thinks that consumer products are, which as you said, they have a huge impact and there are a lot of 
of um, packaging around in the oceans. But I think half of the pl the tr plastic trash is, is fishing net. Mm -hmm. And so this is something that's really, really important. And there's a great organization called the Global Ghost Gear Initiative, or Triple GI, that really work in this. So within the MSC's fishing standard, we talk about ghost gear a little bit. We say you should try to keep your nets on board and not lose them, basically. Um, and we're thinking about strengthening those requirements, so we're going to be reviewing that part of the standard in upcoming years. Um, but ghost gear is, yeah, it's such a big deal. So ghost gear is when a, a net gets, for whatever reason, it could be an accident, it could just get swept overboard during a storm, or it could break off, it could get old, or it could be deliberately dumped, and the, the net just lives on forever, especially if it's made of plastic, potentially entangling fish, marine mammals, turtles for the rest of time. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely a big deal, and it's where, where fishing and plastics really, really overlap. Um, so we really support GGGI and working with fishers to try to figure out how they can decrease the amount of fishing nets that get lost. So most of it just gets lost. Or I was wondering about that. How? Why is it that there's so much... Um, so much fishing net in the ocean, but then it seems it's mostly just due to um, incidents and error. Yeah, I, th I think so. And I mean, I think fishing nets, before people really understood this, the long-term impacts, were just dumped sometimes too, like they got old mm. or broken or whatever. So that could happen. Um, you can imagine a scenario where if you're a small fishing boat and you catch too much fish, the, the fish could actually pull you down or, or capsize mm -hmm. your boat, so you need to cut the net so that you can basically save the boat. Right. Um, so, but that net would be lost. So there's, yeah, there's so many different ways that it could happen. Do you know of any initiatives that maybe use other materials than plastic for fishing nets? Or Because this seems like a, an emerging market, or it could be um, using different materials. Yes, so there's definitely looking into using some kind of biodegradable material, mm -hmm. something like this. Um, on the other hand, plastic was actually a really good thing when fishing nets were first being made of plastic because it's a lot lighter and it floats through the water. So going back to bottom trawling, if you switch your net to a plastic net that's made of really good, really light, but very durable plastic, you can have a lot less impact on the bottom. Your net's a lot lighter, so when you're pulling it, you're not spending as much fuel. So plastic was a really good thing. Mm. Um, and so... It might not be the case of replacing all plastic nets with biodegradable nets, but maybe also tagging them so you can actually go find them after they they get lost, potentially, um, or trying to have different features so that you don't lose them in the first place. Um, I think there's a lot of really cool work going on in this sector, definitely. And, and that was like versus like steel netting and things like that? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it really sounds like you solve one problem, but then another one kind of emerges. Um, so... And it, there's also, like, solutions to each individual problem, yeah, really. <laughs> mm -hmm. So how can consumers concerned about the environmental um, risks address this um, and, and the pressure on fisheries? Can we make a no-straw kind of popular campaign about this issue? Do you think that would, that would be meaningful? Um, and how is this being addressed among international in, environmental organizations? Specifically on ghost gear, or do you mean sustainable fishing in um, general? Kind of both. We can we can start off with ghost gear and then moving on to more general. So I think ghost gear is kind of getting its day in the sun, mm -hmm. as in people are really starting to understand the links. People are really interested in plastics, and so then you think plastic from consumers is one thing, but what about these other sources and fishing nets are, are a big one. Um, I don't 
think a kind of no straws campaign for ghost gear would necessarily work just because at the end of the day, fishing is so variable by region and by country across the world. Yeah. And the ghost gear problem is one that's happening all over the world in all kinds of different communities. And so what you really need is a kind of a nuanced approach and, and NGOs working on the ground in these countries with the communities to figure out the best solution for that, for that fishing community. And sometimes I think big bands don't have a lot of room for nuance. They only have enough room for like, never buy this, you know? So I don't know. I would say the best thing you can do for Ghost Gear is to really support organizations like Triple GI that are, that are doing really good work and have that really nuanced approach. Cool. And, and so kind of wrapping up, like big picture of, of fishing, what's, what's, the, what's the future of the fishing industry look like going forward? Um, should we increase or decrease our consumption of fish and other seafood? And um, how, how does this minimize the negative impact on the environment? So I definitely think that we're going to solve fishing. And, <laughs> and by me, or by we, I mean all of us. I mean me yeah. and you and all the consumers and all the NGOs who are working on it and the fishers themselves and the scientists and the governments. I think fishing sustainably is an achievable goal and it's something that we can definitely, we can definitely get there, I think. So the MSC's goal is to have 30% of all fishing engaged in the program by 2030. And there's other organizations working to similar goals. I think it's totally achievable. Um, and I would say you don't have to give up fish to make a difference. And in fact, if you, support, if you support sustainable fishing, then you're contributing to this positive feedback loop where you support sustainable fishing, more fishers are incentivized to fish sustainably, they see benefits from doing so, then there's more fish available, and so on and so forth. So my personal, my personal feeling and, and the way the MSC operates is on that kind of pragmatic market-based level. Um, and that's why I would encourage you, if, if you want to help, make sure that you're looking out for the blue fish label when you're buying seafood. And also you can look into um, the Marine Conservation Society, which is another NGO in the UK, does a little fish card. So if you don't see a label, you can at least double check on their app to see if the, the fish that you're looking at is sustainable according to their sources or not. Um, Embassy isn't the only NGO working in this space, but we think that we're the easiest one. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is look for the little blue fish. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely easy to find. And I think that, once again, consumers driving the market and that's driving industry. And that's how we can we can all contribute to making an impact. Yes. And if we can't find a blue label, we look for mussels. You look for mussels, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Plus, they're so delicious. <laughs> yeah, they're quite good. Well, Lucy, thanks for uh, coming and spending your afternoon with us and, and, and walking us through kind of the sustainable fishing industry uh, MSC and all its the, all the cool work that that you guys are doing in the field. Yeah, we definitely learned a lot from from this. Um, thanks for sharing a lot of the organizations and practices and and a lot of optimism about the future. I think that's my main takeaway. Thanks so much for having me. It's been really great. And uh, if you have any more questions or want to find out more, you can visit msc.org or uh, follow up with me too. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much, Lucy. Look Thank for you. the blue label. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on Green Minds at Imperial College. Check the show notes for our website and links to everything we talked about today. And don't forget to hit subscribe to stay up to date with all our episodes.